In order for shame to be rendered powerless in our lives, we must be witnessed. We must be seen. Your gifting is going to seem like things that are just very obvious. They're going to seem like, well, everybody can be this welcoming. Everybody can see that moment where I just saw it. We're going to feel like anybody could do it. And that's what makes it your gifting. Watch how people avoid the face of somebody in need or asking who makes you uncomfortable. Every one of those faces reveal God. We have to remember our past and recount the things that God has done for us. And then that gives us faith to keep going to where he wants us to be. Hey guys, welcome back to the Incense Podcast. I'm Sam. And I'm Blaine. And today we are joined by... The wonderful Alan Arnold. Thanks for being here, Alan. Yeah. Alan is the podcast producer and also the ranking creative professional here on the Wild at Heart team. All matters of writing, creativity, God's nature as it relates to making the world. That's his wheelhouse. So no, no pressure, huh? No, not at it's all. It's amazing. So where'd you get your doctorate? Uh <laughs> Okay. (laughs) So Alan and I were having a conversation recently around writing. I've been working on a writing project long term. I've changed my schedule and changed my uh, work relationship with Ansons to be able to write more. And so, when you say long term, do you mean like this year? Years, years of working. Three years. Three, four plus. Time flies when you're having fun, huh? Time flies when you have (laughs) two hours a week to write and a baby. Uh Uh-huh. And so I asked you, Alan, how do you do it? Because I told you that what I mostly wanted to do with my time was write, and then I wanted to work on other projects. You pointed out that that was a pretty full schedule, but you have a full schedule and have managed to write to excellent books uh, while I've been here at Wild Heart. And so I asked, the question that I'll ask now is, how do you do it as someone who is working full-time and can't disappear to the mountains, uh, but still Mm -hmm. manages to get books out the door? Yeah, it it was a good impromptu conversation we had because we're actually meeting for something at the outpost, some work project that we were doing. And we ended up in this rich territory of, it was about writing, but it was really about creativity. Like it, it transcended writing and it felt like there, I caught in what you were saying, what I feel like is a trap that a lot of people get into with their dreams and passion. And it's, it's something they don't realize and it's something that used to stick me, get me in a just a holding pattern or a stuck pattern. So we had a fascinating conversation, I think, and it went to the point of there's a lie that we embrace, which is our dreams and our creativity have to take a long time for us to give birth to. And what I was bringing up is, and it was in the terms or the context of a book, but man, anybody listening, this applies, I think, to whatever the dream is, which is, I think there's an exponential power in deciding I'm going to give birth to this thing. I'm going to breathe this into life. 
And so I'm going to set aside a time, concentrated period, where it is a trade-off. You have to you have to have if you're married and have kids, you've got to talk to your spouse about this, you know, and get agreement. But it's a trade-off of for a short period of time, I am going to pour everything into birthing this thing, this dream, this vision, this business, this this book. And then it has a life. And and I go back into my normal rhythm, more normal rhythm. And Blaine, with you, I, I know, because we've talked a lot about it, you've had this passion project, and it's been in the works for years and years and years. And so my heart that day was grieving for you in the sense of, oh, man, there is a way to do this that will bring you more life and that will get that that story out into the world far faster. So that's that's what the conversation was. And and I think there's a lot of layers and levels to it that'll be of interest to people, whatever they're doing or, or dreaming, because the inertia of I can only do a little at a time and I'll do 20 minutes a day, four days a week. It's just I've seen too many people never get there because of that. And in the meantime, they're miserable and the people around them are miserable because it's never the dream never leaves you but you never give birth to it so it's just this painful place of in the middle of it's not happening but it kind of I'm doing a little and the longing is there and it just gets messy and tangled up okay 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 hang on so it feels like there are so many creative advice practices and this is sort of pushing against some of the more familiar ones mm-hmm. Like somebody will recommend a book to us and be like, this guy, it took him a decade to write this. And when I was younger, I was like, wow, what a, what an amazing accomplishment. And these days I'm like, oh, I can take a decade to write something. It's taking me that long to fix the oil <laughs> in my car. Like I'm having less of a impression with things that take forever because it seems like yeah, I can get lost in the inertia. Right. And a lot of the authors that write on creativity, press field. I had a, I have a professor who said the best thing an author can have is glue to keep him in his chair. And it was like this consistency. You do the work, you put in the miles, you just do the, like chip away forever. And eventually you too will create the David or the Sistine Chapel or whatever it is. Um, but you, you're talking like you've had eyes on more than a handful of projects. Can you just give us a little taste of like, Alan, what was it that you were doing? What is it that you've been doing on the side? And and how many projects, specifically in the world of writing and creativity, would you guess you've gotten to see, at least from 50,000 feet? Well, at least from 50,000 feet, I would say a couple of thousand. Oh because gosh. I was in the publishing industry for 20-plus years. And so 10 years, I was the publisher of a fiction division or group and that during that time, it was over 500 novels. 500 stories came out, new stories, brand new, during that decade. But before that, I was working with authors in fiction and nonfiction for a decade, not as their publisher, but on the team. I was on the marketing team and in all the high-level meetings and got to hear and see and watch the birthing of those ideas. And before that, I was in the ad agency world. And so it wasn't novels or 300-page books, but it was campaigns, you know, ad campaigns, Mm -hmm. 30-second 
stories that had to compel people to not turn the channel or not uh, leave the room, but pay attention to something they weren't asking for. So those stories took a lot of engineering, even though they were 30-second or one-minute commercials. And now I coach writers and I coach creatives. So it's been a myriad of types of creativity, but what I see in all of those is the common denominator is it's easy to get stuck and it's easy to fall back on, well, if there's a deadline and I do have to have something quick, I'm going to rely on formula because formula is the only way that I know. I mean, I'm not saying me personally, but I'm saying that's the lie. The person thinks formula is the only way to get it done in this mm -hmm. amount of time. Or they go the other extreme and it's, I'll just chip away a little at a time and maybe in five years this thing will happen. But the problem with that is in five years, we're a different person if we're if we're actually growing and living and experiencing the newness that God invites us into. So the questions we had five years ago and the thoughts and the challenges are, you know, it's different before you had kids. Who you are is right. different fundamentally. And before you were married and after, you're fundamentally different. And all these experiences change us. So when we start trying to do one thing, give birth to one idea over years, the problem is we're not static. And so it's like by the time we're three years in, we don't think the same way we thought three years ago. You know, I can think of a few people who actually are the same person five years later, and they're not the person I really want to hang around. Right. Like if, if Homer Simpson. <laughs> oh my gosh. I mean, the nuances of the way the world has affected him. <laughs> As an actor, he has not matured much. Oh gosh, uh, I don't no know growth. why. But it, you know, it it doesn't tend to work very well. I've I have not seen it in thousands of test cases work well for creativity. And on the flip side, the people that rely on formula to turn something fast, you know, because Let's take the publishing world. Well, an author signs a three-book contract, and every eight months, 10 months, you're going to turn in a manuscript, and they have an idea for the first one. So that's what got them the contract. So book one, they've been thinking about working on, and they hit the deadline. They turn it in. They don't have any idea what they're going to do for book two, but now it's due in eight months, and they've already been paid in advance on it. And they really don't know what they're going to do in book three, which is due in 16 months. Well, at that point, the best most of those authors can do is fulfill a contract, hit a deadline. It's like in college or high school when I got the paper turned in. Are you proud of it? Not really, but I got it done and I turned it in and I passed the test. But with creativity, we don't just want to pass a test or get it done and fulfill a contract. We want to breathe something new into existence. So it doesn't work with formula trying to rush it out and just hit a deadline. And it doesn't work trying to eat the elephant one small bite at a time over five years. You know, there are exceptions in both camps, but in general, I would encourage people don't fall into either of those areas because neither is the best way to breathe life into something. Yeah, it's fascinating. So you finished a book this year. You wrote and finished and released a book this year. How long did you spend writing that book? So, okay, this is really fascinating. So writing the book, 10 weeks, which is in the middle of a pandemic and 
everybody being distracted and and disheartened. And I mean, it was the, in some ways it would seem like the worst time to try to be creative because it's in the middle of this storm of unprecedented craziness in the world. But I did it in 10 weeks. And so the creative process of writing, start to finish, blank screen to finish book, 10 weeks, that's phenomenally fast for if somebody's not a writer. That's that's the equivalent of saying like, you finished college in a semester. Right. Or you got pregnant and gave birth to the baby two weeks later. Like it, it feels it's that, it's that kind of, no, you can't, wait, what? Mm-hmm. But here's the thing I want to add to that in our conversation. And we talked about this, Blaine, in our conversation. The research phase of the book, in other words, the preparation was three years in the making. So I've been for three years out speaking on chaos, and I've been researching it, reading in scripture about chaos, and observing people long before chaos was even a topic like on people's minds. And in 2020, it was what everybody was talking about. But there was this period of gestation or development or just pondering where it looked like no progress. Like I was speaking and teaching on it, but I wasn't doing it in the way that the book, the book didn't follow the the flow of my teachings. And so I had three years of what if and God, what does this mean? And why do people react this way? Why do I react this way when chaos hits? So all of those thoughts were taking shape. And then the creation process was a fast burst of giving life to something. So when we're talking about creativity, I don't want to say anything that you just, you know, if somebody tosses you a topic and you have no, you know, in times or, mm-hmm. you know, geometry. Now write a book on that in 10 weeks or however long, that's going to be super hard because your brain, you haven't lived any of it or thought about it. What Pythagoras and blood moons have in common. <laughs> All right, I'm going. Go <laughs> now. So it, uh, but I, what I am saying is God puts us all on journeys. And then those journeys that we're each on living right now, every one of us, there are things we have been thinking about and working through in our hearts and in our minds. And when and when we have a passion and we've been thinking about those things, and then somebody says, now it's time, or you have now a window, then at that point, I think the miraculous what feels miraculous can happen, which is all of that in me is time to give birth to it. And when it's time to give birth to it, like Blaine, you've been working on this book of yours for three plus years, right? Four plus years. Four plus years. So you, everything that you have put into those four years of thinking and ideas and mapping out, what I'm saying now is if you went to a beach house or a cabin or somewhere remote, or your family took a vacation somewhere and you stayed at home and had some time, you could do in a short amount of time what would take you years more if you drug it out by saying, I'm just going to fit it into life and do it, you know, 30 minutes every other day. Plane, come back. Don't, no, sit sit down. (laughs) You don't get to leave right this second. Wait, where'd he go? It really, maybe I'm the only one who heard one kind of advice when I start when I entered the professional world and marriage and family and it was <laughs> a kind of 
fit it into the margins, long deposits over time. Mm-hmm. And it's like the Tolkien story, right? Like, right. Where he would he had write his full af- life. Yeah. After 11 p.m. 11 p.m. At night, he would jot notes on napkins and then lose them. And then finally, he had to find someone who could help him pull everything together. And, and you're like, that's how I will write the Lord of the Rings. And there are exceptions <laughs> out there, right? We right. mentioned these, you know, these five, 10 year projects. And one of, yeah. One of my favorite novels, one of everybody's favorite novels, Peace Like River by Lee Fanger. That was five years of small work in the margins. And yet, what I've found that to be like most of the time is living in a perpetually aggravated state where mm-hmm. I'm like, you know, for the first year of writing this novel project, the only window that I could find was... Thursday mornings, I'd get up at 5, and I would write before work, and then everything else was divided in. Church obligations, family obligations, getting the work thing going, all of this other stuff. So it went, yeah, but, you know, and then when I have ideas, I'll take them down on my phone. But it was it's a very frustrating way to create. And there's kind of this, the vision that was emerging yesterday was fascinating because there is a holding place, it seems like, for the advice of slog some, keep engaging this, but when it's ready, I thought it was interesting to hear you describe when you start, when you do start writing, Alan, how do you do it as a person with a job and a family and coaching and sports and all this? Like, how available are you when the time comes and you have 10 weeks of writing in front of you. And and wait, before you even jump into that, like the situation you're describing where you're fitting it into the margins, that feels like that describes my life so accurately. And there's that low simmering irritation towards everything else that's getting in the way. And you're like, "I, I love my church community, but right now they're stopping me from having more time to do this creative piece. Totally. And so... I'm irritable when I show up to something that I do like being a part of and then just take out the words and drop in soccer practice or drop in work or drop in something with like a family dinner. And like you're beginning to describe the sense of agitation that I've felt plenty of times going, everything else is in the way, kind of, because I'm not choosing to really get it out of the way. Exactly. What you're naming is, I think we have an illusion of if I go slow, I can somehow just fit it in and it it will it will take a long time, but I'll get to the finish line without really disrupting any other part of my life. The lie to that is, and Kelly called me on it, which was, my wife called me on it, which was, Alan, you think when you're doing this a little at a time, you're making time for family and for us and for, you know, all the activities... Uh-oh. But the reality is you're half there because this thing that you have in your heart and mind that's banging to come out, that's trying to be born, mm. you're distracted by and you're you're irritated when you don't, you know, have time to write and you don't so you you say, Okay, well let's have a family game night, but you're half in the game night and I can tell your mind's on something else. And so what she called me on was, just go do it. Give birth to that thing. Take the time and then be fully present to it so you can be fully present back in 
our world. Mm. And so when she said that, I knew I knew she was right because I thought I was doing a better job of bluffing and of of just being satisfied with partial. You're like, I'm present, I'm here. <laughs> right. Yeah, but you hate us right now. <laughs> and the people that know you best are like, you're you're not really, you're not really. And in kindness to them and to yourself, I think again, whatever your creativity is, what I'm saying, I'm not saying leave your family for a year. What I'm saying is, though, there comes a point where to kind of shift into blame your question. There comes a point where you have to say, I'm going to give this priority because if I don't, you know, and it never happens, I'm going to be miserable because that's part of what I feel like God called me to do or to be. And so with the book, what I did was, you know, I'd, I'd been teaching on it for years, like I said, and and talking about it and researching it. But that's, you can do all that and have zero for a book. Like that, how you teach and how you research doesn't make a book pop into existence. And so I just told Kelly, I feel like God is putting an urgency on this message of chaos. That was the book I was writing of how chaos cannot overtake us, cannot overcome us when we enter into this world with God. And so I, I, I felt like the time was now. And we reached alignment. She said, yeah, if that's what God's saying, then you do need to get this book out. And I said, but it's going to, you know, I'm going to take off work. I'm going to shut myself in the study. I, we didn't have the the funds for me to go off like, and it was the COVID world anyway. There was no place to go. But even if I could have gone somewhere, I didn't have the funds to go rent a beach cabin for three weeks or 10 weeks. And I wasn't going to leave the family that long. So what I decided to do was just in my study, I'm going to shut the door and she's going to run interference with our kids and with life. And, and I'm going to be basically not very available and we're not going to have big emotional conversations and big decisions about life and the future for that short period of time. And when that short period of time is over and you do have to put a window, like what I'm I'm not saying, just start there and go however long it takes, <laughs> you know, and four months later. Maybe we're not talking about any big <laughs> topics anymore and you're responsible right. for running everything. In 2023, I'll still come out of my study. I promise it's going to be um, amazing. <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> but let me just, this, I just can't, my mind was melting yesterday as I went. Last winter, a friend was getting into physical training and... He wanted to come over and have a high-level conversation. By the way, uh, 30,000 feet, 40,000 feet, 50,000 feet. Let's just sync up our language and say 30,000 feet because 50,000 feet, you'd pretty much be in space. And I think what we mean is the cruising out through an airplane. So uh, from, just like uh, getting a higher uh, vantage point. Blaine. From now on. <laughs> I think you're a little too <laughs> close <laughs> at 30,000 I'm just watching us go up and down elevations. From a million thousand feet. Like, from 100,000 feet looking down at the Earth, and like be, that'd be it's hard to see detail from that height. Uh, <laughs> I love how Blaine's brain works. Golly, yeah. right? Uh, <laughs> and, okay, but he was asking some high-level questions yes. about how do you do this, and what he had noticed is that everything in the sports performance world is about the peak. People don't write as often about the lifestyle. And I went, oh, okay, here's what it is. Everything that I know physically in creation goes in these cycles 
And it's incredible how, you know, all of the metabolic processes in the human body are on these 24-hour clocks, not Well, all. you say you know, but I didn't. Uh, yeah, I tell and, us. And so human beings are ultra-tied to 24-hour clocks, to seasonal calendars, and then ultimately to yearly calendars. Wonderful ways, because we live in a world that has planting and harvest. Mm-hmm. And go, for, the, for an athlete, you need to take a long off-season and the peak that people write about, how to run faster, that's a slow process that's ultimately expressed in a really short race season. Yes. And that seems obvious in something like sports, where you go, if you try to stay in peak shape all the time, all you will do is burn yourself out, injure yourself, and go, human bodies have about 70 summers of peak capability in them generally. And if you condense all that, you're going to mess yourself up and go. So that (laughs) was clear in terms of uh, that finally felt obvious in terms of physical training where we've learned to take a pretty big off-season and hate ourselves during the winter when we feel fat and slow. Mm, I've been uh, taking a two-year off-season right now. You can stretch then, those summers out. <laughs> and, and it's amazing that we know that the race season is super short. Right. And I mean, pe- it's a couple months at yeah. most. And it, and, you know, and it gets tighter and tighter where the peak of the race season is usually a race that's a couple hours long where you do this thing that you're only able to do a couple hours a year. And you would and never expect yourself to like say it's an Ironman. You work for that event. It's not that you work for the ability to run an Ironman without stopping for a month straight. Like that's just, that's obviously not the goal. And most Ironman athletes can't, couldn't run an Ironman every single day of their life. Right. Even the pros. They, they have to schedule their season out so they like peak for a couple different moments. And even look at school, like high school, you know, you you study, you go to class, whether it's virtual or whether it's in person, there's a, a rhythm of taking in, researching, learning, and then at the end of the semester, there's finals. And the finals is a quick burst of everything I've learned, now it's time to demonstrate or to create what I need to prove or to show like the fruition of, of all of this. And you don't take finals year long every day. You're, you're in this long learning period where then there's the moment where it all comes together. And then you usually need a recovery from that. You know, mm-hmm. like you don't want to think about school or stuff for a while if you poured yourself out. So we see that pattern over and over. Athletes, students, we see it uh, in scripture. Like it was pretty mind-blowing the other day in our talk to talk about how God in Genesis 1 in creation, whatever your view is, you know, however you picture that playing out, the days of creation, the, the reality is the way scripture tells it, the way it's recorded is fast, staccato. Day one, day two, day three, day four. Like it's, you're seeing this rhythm of God says, I'm going to create, and he steps into the empty void, the chaos, and from that nothingness, he brings beauty, life, and order, 
with a cycle of creation that feels very spontaneous, joyful, powerful. Um, and when it's done on day seven, he's savoring, resting, savoring, stepping into all that he's created. And so I think we see that mirrored in God. I think it's, we see it mirrored in just the way life flows, but somehow when it comes to our dreams and the gifting and creativity we have, we kind of think we have to fit it in. And if it's only a a small morsel at a time, we have this kind of clinging to this hope. We'll we'll still get there someday. Someday I'm going to get this thing done. And it just, you may, but you may make yourself and everybody miserable the whole way because <laughs> it's, right. it's you're stretching. It's like, you know, trying to stretch a pregnancy out for six years instead of, no, there's a rhythm to it. You don't want to be pregnant six years, <laughs> seven years. Twitched. Nobody wants to be around a pregnant lady for <laughs> six years. And it's a culmination. And then, you know, there's birth. And, and you need that birth to your creativity because otherwise – you, you are, you're going to feel this longing and this misery and this agitation because just like a human birth, your creativity, your ideas are meant to be born and not to just slowly, slowly, you know, happen a little at a time. And, and then you realize there's no momentum and it's really not happening much. And now I think I'm going to change my dream to this and I'll start that long process. Like that's not hopeful. I just, it sounds like a good way to have a very frustrating and unfulfilled life, to be honest. Blaine, I think of the stories um, that you were sharing of some of the screenwriters that you love, like the movie with the two brothers who were bank robbers came out. Remind me the title. High Water. Hell or High Water came out. And you were like, this movie is amazing. It's written by Taylor Sheridan. Guess how it happened. He wrote... (laughs) Sicario, no one liked it. Then they had to move out of their house because he had left, lost his job. He had left his job to be a writer. And I mean, then Sicario he, is awesome, though. Well, people, yeah. So it's an interesting side story with Taylor Sheridan. Everyone should listen to the Q and A with Jeff Goldsmith if you don't already. Jeff, if you're a listener, love your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and hi, Jeff. Give us a call sometime. <laughs> it's interviews with screenwriters, but. So Taylor Sheridan wrote Sicario, no one wanted it, ends up in a one-bedroom apartment in L.A. with a baby and a, and a frustrated wife, and he takes over the bedroom as a writing space and writes Hell or High Water, which gets nominated for Best Screenplay in three weeks. And wow. But he was saying, he was talking about a breakfast that he had with some other screenwriters, and they went, the germination process for that project was long. And another, you know, so you guys saw 1917. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sam Mendes and Christy Wilson Cairns wrote it. And Christy Wilson Cairns, she is a Scottish uh, screenwriter. And when she talked about it, she said, I had a long-term fascination with World War I. And then when I had an early conversation with Sam Mendes about the project, I be- I read more. I went uh, 
I went over to continental Europe and I traveled and I was taking notes and I was thinking. And then we, my mom and I went to Paris to a hotel room and I wrote the screenplay in three weeks. And it, it just fits over and over again and not just writers. Right. Where you go. Blaine, talk about your shed because that was an example too. Right. Well, okay. Yeah. So uh, when we bought the house that we live in now, uh, one of the first problems we wanted to solve was that our house is small, so there was nowhere to, if we were at home, to for one of the parents to get away. If people were over, he had to be ultra quiet in the living room. And I loved the idea of having this creative shed space. It was inspired by our friend Tim. So I knew that I wanted to build one. And what happened was we moved in for six months. I thought about it and sketch designs and scavenged materials. But then finally when it was time to build, it was like, Emily, it start, I started at the end of October. It went, I would like to get this up. Do you view it as a priority? Yes, okay, well, all spare time until this is done is going to be spent building the shed. And that thing went up in about six weeks. Uh, mm. This, and you know, this is like, this is a mini barn that, has a wood stove and has electricity and is insulated wow. and wood paneling and it is it's a nice outbuilding, but just went if I had done that in terms of you know what well every Saturday every Saturday morning I'm going to work on this shed and you know what I'll bet by the end of two years it'll be done versus <laughs> and everyone will be dead <laughs> right right versus going hey this is the thing that's coming I build it it will be hard you. Because uh, I'm going to come home from work, check in with the family, and then run out and work on the shed for a couple hours. So everyone's going to have to be pushing on this project. But then it's done, and I haven't had to work on it since. Where it's, then it just becomes this asset that we have, and it's a finished project. And I went, oh, my gosh. How many – there are so many creative things that I wish I had treated this way or am excited to try this out and go, wow, sometimes I've started – writing or painting or whatever it is too early, I think. And when actually it should have just been, you know, right to keep my writing skills alive. Uh, but all, but mostly read and think and take notes and while the project, let the project build. And then when mm. it's time, go, okay, now I'm going to go into an intensive phase where I'm really going to prioritize this, get it done, and then it will be finished and I'll be back around and more available to the rest of my life. But the, the key phrase there, I think, is when it's time. Because if you had tried to start before either Emily was ready for you to start or before you had all the equipment or the plans, then it there is a time and a season for certain things that, that matters. And so, for instance, on my book, I wrote one book, and it came out in 2016. And it went through that same burst of of creative intensity, and then it was written and done. But this next book was 2020, four years in between. And I cut my teeth in the writing community as a, you know, in the publishing world. And man, authors there oftentimes are on a schedule of every six months, I will write a book. And, and they, so it becomes very formulaic, like week one is this, week two is this, week three is this. And at the end of this period, I'll start again. And week one is this and week two is this. And we're not encouraging that because 
again, formula, getting something done doesn't mean something creative was born. It just means you crank something out. And I think what we're talking about here is not just cranking something out, but we're talking about a dream or a passion or an idea that you're willing to go, I may wait four years between ideas. If I don't have the next idea, then I'm not going to start. Or if I don't have a new dream, I'm not going to just force something to happen. And so even though I spent my life in the publishing world, everybody in that world thinks I'm crazy because they're like, you just, it's just not a very successful plan to do a book every four years. And it's not, you know, and I, and I just respond with, I, I get what you're saying from a business standpoint, but from an idea standpoint, I want to be disruptive enough to only write when I have something worth saying. And if, if that's four years, six years, two years, whatever, then that's when I'll give birth to something. So I do think timing matters and the buy-in of those around you. Like if your spouse is not supportive, that's a whole nother conversation and issue. And you have to be supportive of your spouse. If your spouse comes to you and says, I've had this dream and you need to step up all the things I do for this 10-week, eight-week period of time while I try to get this huge surge of creativity done, you have to be willing to go, I bless that. And I will do double duty while you pursue that dream. So it there's all those pieces of it as well. Something I'm struck by as we're talking that the creative birthing has all of this uh, germination on the on the front end, which feels really encouraging and kind because I think we can isolate moments of greatness, like with a race, like with a book being written, like writing a screenplay in three weeks and having it win all these awards and be nominated. Those are the things that we end up holding out there. Like that's what the article ends up being about. Hey, right. look what they did. They sat down, they did this amazing thing. They wrote this app and it like went like crazy. And you miss all of the germination, all of the reading these books, getting in this world so that when the moment comes, you're actually drawing on years, if not a lifetime of something that's been like in the background. It feels like, where has that been? I've had professors tell me, you know, if you're going to write a book, what are you reading? That's my first question. And that to me feels like the less developed version of this, where that's their encouragement to, are you taking things in? Is there germination going on? Are you steeping yourself in this world so that when the moment comes, you're not just creating it in a vacuum and yes. expecting it to be this like uh, cosmic bang moment of like, well... I don't know where you're going to be pulling things from and have it not just be a bunch of formulas and rote ideas where you're like, well, I wanted to do this. Alan said I need to go to a cabin. So, babe, I'm taking off and I'm going to write that Western I've always wanted to write. But you haven't been thinking about those really. You just like the idea of that thing. And so you're going to be pulling from a vacuum. I just feel so unkind. Yeah, so you I, like the idea of being in a cabin. <laughs> for, <laughs> but you, exactly. But you... You have to, it reminds me when Craig McConnell used to talk about, you know, the matador. Mm -hmm. And he was like, I always thought I wanted to be a matador. And, and, and I found out over time, once I was in the ring, I actually 
didn't want to be a matador. I just wanted to be wearing, what do you say, shiny pants and tight pants, pants and, and hear yeah. the crowd roar. <laughs> the crowd roar, but not actually be a matador <laughs> with a bull coming at me. Yeah. So I, I think the preparation time is huge. And in the preparation time, you're not asking those around you to sacrifice and pick up your slack. I think you're going through life realizing, wow, I have a fascination with this. Who are some people I can read or watch or listen to or or shows I can take in or uh, people I can kind of hang around who love this too and who want to engage in conversation? And that may take years, and that's okay because the biggest problem with our world is this sense of instant everything. So, yes, take time to curate, to live, to experience a lot of times when writers say they're stuck, my answer is you're not stuck on your story. You're stuck in your life. So go live more and then write more. But living more is where you're stuck, not not the paragraph. Oh, Lord. Way to up the ante. You're not stuck <laughs> in your story. You're stuck in your life, <laughs> in your Jason. Oh, no. So you're naming Sam and Blaine like this huge part, which is so – it, it's it's the less sexy part. It's the part that doesn't have the docu-series made on it, but it's the preparation and it's the life. And and let that part play out unseen and without making a big deal to everybody and you're not trying to convince people you've got this great thing during that period, you're kind of hidden. And it's the hard work and it's behind the scenes and it's, as Morgan says, the lowest seat at the table. And you're just taking in and absorbing and letting it work its way through. And then when that moment comes, when God says, now, are you sense, you know, with God, this, I'm ready. Then you enter into that high creative phase. And we talked the other day in that conversation about how, like when you're in that high creative phase, if you're, say you're a sculptor and you've got this block of marble, well, it's not that you just bring in this block of marble and all of a sudden this magnificent, you know, thing has been created in five minutes. Like you may start it, it doesn't work. Throw the marble away. Get another piece of marble or granite. Start it, throw it away. Start it, throw it away. You're still in a discovery phase in that. It's not just going to flow like magic, but you have all you need in you and God's with you. And so it will develop. But yeah, even in that creative burst, it's hard work and it's blood, sweat, and tears. And Hemingway said, you know, writing a story is easy. You just sit at the typewriter and bleed. And that's, you know, it, it will be painful even in the beauty and it will be messy even in the joy because creation is always messy and beautiful and unpredictable and disruptive. But that's, I just want to encourage people that, you know, don't try to pursue your dream five minutes a week once you feel like now's the time because that may be something the world really needs and the way the enemy can stop you from getting there is to just have it always be five minutes a day forever. 